Recorded by The Way in Brea. Lead pastor Von Jarrett has a heart for the people at The Way and a desire to reach the lost. The Way's production department prays this message is a blessing to you and that you find yourself closer to God through application. jump right into it this morning. Um, we are at week number four, the final week of our series, Coming of Age. Our theme scripture has been Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. It says, we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, we may grow up. Say grow up. In all things, and to him who is the head, which is Christ. This idea of coming of age, this idea of growing up, and it's not just talking about being carried about by the wind of doctrine in, in church and the wrong church or the wrong uh, ministering of the word of God. It's talking about everybody has a doctrine for you about how you should live and how you should be in relationships. It said we got to grow up, not be carried about by those things, but speak the truth in love and grow up into Christ. In week number one, we looked at it and we said 2018 is about being 18, about growing as adults, becoming really strong men and women of God, growing as Christians more this year than we have in years of the past. In week number two, we looked at these man-to-man conversations and things that have to be done as men if we're going to come of age. We can't just be getting older physically, older in age and by date. We have to grow up as men into the head, who is Christ. We have to have conversations that matter. We have to wrestle with the things that we struggle with. We have to repent and overcome and move forward. Last week, uh, we had this uh, focus on our women and her story. And uh, this idea that the story has to be told by God and not by you. The story has to be lived out by you, even though it's told by God. And that's how we as women here in this church can kind of come of age, right? It's not about uh, this idea that the world may try to share with you about what it means to be a woman and independence and I am woman, hear me roar. It's about listen to my king, listen to his roar and him tell you who I am. And then to walk in that. So much more powerful. You know, I was, I was uh, blessed to see... Mary take off uh, yesterday morning, and it was funny. She texted me a couple times, thank you, babe, I had such a good time. Thank you for taking care of the kids and feeding them breakfast, all this kind of stuff. And I'm thinking to myself, like, that's just what it means to be a husband. Like, you shouldn't have to thank me for encouraging you to be a woman of God. But it was nice to see that, that she was encouraged, that she had a good time, that she was blessed by all of you women and, and uh, fellowshipping together. At the center of this series... There's this idea that you and I have to get out of the center. Many of you have heard me say this before. If you look at your life, when you're a child, you're the center of everything. 
You're the most important person. Your feelings are all that matters and everything is centering and revolving around you. Many of us, as we come into the faith, we have the, a tendency to stay in that place. The Bible says that when you were a child, you thought as a child, you drank milk, but it's time to grow up and get onto solid food. How do we do that? You remove yourself as a child from the center of everything, right? And you put Christ at the center. It's about Jesus. It's about his will. It's about the fact that he provided salvation for me. He provided salvation for you. And he begins to take the center role in your life. His will for your life begins to take priority. That's what it means to come of age as an individual. Have you gotten there yet? As an individual, have you been able to say, it's really not about me, it's about Christ. It's really not about what I want or what I can do. It's about what he wants and what he can do. So I'm aware in my salvation that nothing matters more than my own salvation. I preach that to everybody that comes into this church. Don't worry about other people. Your salvation is what matters most. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Amen. It's important. Somebody say amen. amen. I'm also aware that as a man and as a husband and a father, that after my salvation, the salvation of my wife and the salvation of my children is something that God has called me and equipped me to be able to ensure. Let me say that again. As a man of God, God has called me and equipped me to ensure the salvation of my wife, to ensure the salvation of my children. Listen to these scriptures. Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. Acts 16, 31 says, they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house, and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. This is a story of a jailer, a man that got saved. He saw the power of God alive in Paul's life. He takes them out of the prison, brings them into his home, and it says that his whole family hears the word. Not only he was saved, but his family was saved because he became a man of God and then filtered that down to his family. Not very complicated. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. The picture literally painted in this, in this uh, scripture like the ladies did on, on Saturday. Jesus saying, as a husband, as a man, if you love your wife right, you will literally wash her with the word of God and, be, and she'll be presented to her father in heaven without spot or without blemish. Amen. What an amazing thing it is to be called by God, empowered by God, gifted by God into some of these areas. Last one. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, but, say but. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and he is worse than an unbeliever. God's not playing around with us. Men and women, we got to come of age. He's saying, look, this is what you can do. This is what I've called you to do. If you don't, you're worse than an unbeliever. So this idea of you and I getting out of the center putting Christ into the center, growing up, coming of age as an individual, as a man of God or as a woman of God, recognizing who you're supposed to be, who he's called us to be, who he's empowered us to be, 
is important. <clears throat> the idea that salvation and the kingdom and the will of God for your life and for your family is more important than your own will for your life. But look at this. Let's take you out of the sinner. Let's put Christ into the sinner. And then let's put the church between you and Christ. You out of the sinner, Christ into the sinner, and then between you and Christ would be the church, the body of Christ. You can look at it this way this morning. Being saved is becoming a child of God. Being a healthy part of the church is coming of age and becoming a man or a woman of God. You get saved, Christ gets into the center of your life. He's the goal. He's the purpose. It's his will and not your will. You've been born again. You are now a child of God. But then you got to grow up and say, now I want to be a healthy part of his body, his church. You put the church between yourself and Christ. And you begin to care for the body of Christ. This can be very, very challenging for people. But this morning, whether you want to or not, you're going to wrestle with it. We're going to wrestle with what God says about you, what he says about me, what he says about the church, what he says about his body. So the title of the message this morning is The Church, Me Versus Us. The Church, Me Versus Us. Say me. me. Say me. me. Versus, versus us. us. Lord, we thank you for bringing us into your body. We thank you for giving us an opportunity, Lord, to seek after you, to hear what you would have to say to us this morning, Lord. I pray that we would be filled with your spirit, Lord, that the words we hear would be confirmed by your spirit within us, Lord God, that we would be changed, that we would be transformed, Lord God. I pray that we would truly come of age. It's been a great beginning to this year, Lord. We thank you that you put breath into our lungs, Lord God. We thank you that you've given us a mind that can consider and think we thank you that you've challenged us, Lord, to see whether or not we're children still on milk, Lord God, whether or not we are growing and on solid food or if we're somewhere in the middle, Lord. We ask that you would just continue your work. Your promises are faithful. Your promises are true, Lord God. You say that you are the one that's begun a good work inside of each and every one of us, and you will bring it to completion, Lord. This morning, Lord, would you just open our hearts? Would you just open our minds, Lord? We want you to be at the center, and then we want you to rearrange everything according to your will from there on out, Lord. Have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. amen. Mark chapter 3, verse 28, this idea of the church. It says, assuredly I say to you, this is Jesus speaking, assuredly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they utter, they may utter, but he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation. Because they said, he has an unclean spirit. Then his brothers and his mothers came, standing outside they sent to him, calling him. And a multitude was sitting around him, and they said to him, Look, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. But he answered them, saying, Who is my mother or my brothers? And he looked around in a circle at those who sat about him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother. So Jesus 
is talking about what it takes to be saved, what it takes to have your sins forgiven. He says, you can be forgiven for anything and everything except for the denial of my spirit because my spirit is going to make you aware that I'm God. And that's how you get saved. You become aware that I'm God. You repent before me and ask me for forgiveness. And he's having this supremely important conversation with a, with a group of people. And then his family comes walking up. We need to see you, Jesus. It's your mom, it's your sisters, it's your brothers. There's a lot of people in the world that don't believe that Mary and Joseph uh, had sex after Jesus was born. Jesus has brothers. Jesus has sisters. Mary was a real woman with real desires, and Joseph was a real man with real desires. His blood relatives come walking up. Hey, we need to talk to you. We need to see you. We got this going on in the family, and we got to take care of mom, and we got to, uh, your brother's in trouble. We got to do this. The same things that many of us have going on in our families. Drama. Somebody say amen. <laughs> and Jesus says this. You see the church sitting around me? That's what he says, right? He says, you see these people who have come to me to hear from God, to hear the word of God, to get direction from God? These are my mother and my brother and my sisters. This is my family. This is my priority. This is what I've been sent here to do. So I thought about it as I, as I shared with you guys about the responsibilities of a man and the responsibilities of a woman, what it means to be a man of God, a woman of God. Is it possible that I can, at the same time, not neglect my responsibilities as a husband and as a father, but keep that in right relation with my responsibilities to the church, Amen. to the body of Christ? It's a blessing that my wife wants to serve God. It's a blessing that my kids don't have a choice. <laughs> and they're in church. But... God forbid, I don't believe that this is going to happen, but it, it is the case for others. Right now, this very day, there are husbands with wives that don't want to serve. There are wives with husbands that don't want to serve. There are single people who are unevenly yoked because one of them doesn't really want to serve. There are children who come of age in America, become 18. They don't have to go anywhere or do anything. You don't want to go to church, that's fine. You just can't live here with us. At that point, what do I do as a man of God? I serve God and I serve the church. I've got blood family, and I've got the family that's covered by the blood. If you have the, the blessing of, which many of us do, where you get to serve with your family. I got my mom in the church. I got my wife in the church. I got my kids and brothers-in-laws and all kinds of people in the church. <clears throat> my salvation and my family are part of the church, which means what's good for the body is good for me. What we sacrifice personally as the Jarrets for the body is not a loss to us. It's a gain for the kingdom. Amen. If you consider yourself part of the kingdom, anything you sacrifice for the kingdom is good for you. I believe that this church, the way, is beginning to stand on its own two feet, beginning to mature in many, many ways. And I believe that there's this coming of age that's taking place in this church. If you pay attention, if you open your eyes and you look around, again, if you get yourself out of the center and you say, Lord, what are you doing in your church? Worldwide, then nationally, then locally, and then super locally, here, this actual church, what are you doing? You can see some things. 
you heard all these testimonies this week about what's been going on, right? You got all these events and all this calendar stuff and all these pictures, powerful stuff. But for me and my, my perspective, this is what the week looked like. When we talk about coming of age, we talk about the church growing. On Friday night for prayer, there was close to 30 people, around 30 people here to pray on a Friday night. And I was telling Mary on the way home, I was like, man, we used to do all kinds of stuff for prayer. We'd have live worship. We'd invite other people to come and worship. We had, like, just everything you could possibly do. You're calling every individual. What are you doing? I'll pick you up. Come to pray. <laughs> we didn't do any of that. We announced it last week. Hey, Friday night prayer. 30 people show up. Why? Because there's a maturing. Some people are starting to learn that, hey, prayer matters. Amen. Prayer has power. My husband that I'm physically separated from can call me the next day and say, I felt you. Amen. You see what I'm saying? Like, that's called maturity. Amen. One of our women uh, in the church, I got, a, I got an email saying that she completed the, the baptism course, which means she had to do 21 days in the app. Then she had to come on a Saturday for three or four hours. Then she had to read a full book. Then she had to get back into app and, and do a little quiz. And then at the end of the quiz, it said, well, now that you've done all that, what, what is the result? She says, I want to be baptized. Amen. Like, I don't, I don't just want to get this information. I want to apply it into my life. I've learned some things. I've seen some things. I want to be baptized. Okay, well, when do you want to get baptized? A lot of people say this. Oh, one day when I just feel it's like the right moment, the right time, and I wake up and, and I feel the shower and I didn't even turn it on. <laughs> no, she said, it was suggested in the app. As soon as you're done with the course, that's when I want to do it. When's the next opportunity? Well, it's next month, February. She'll be getting baptized. Amen. This maturing, this growing, not waiting for anybody else. Another woman completed the, the membership course this week. It's been a good week. <laughs> Got into the app and completed the, the membership course, and this is what she wrote. I don't know how important my attendance is to the others yet, but everyone's attendance is important to me. I look forward to seeing everyone every time I go. That's what she said about the church that you go to. See, but if you're only thinking about yourself and you're at the center, or maybe you put Christ in the center and then you're right next to him, you don't got time to be thinking somebody else might actually enjoy the fact that I'm here when they get there. We got to grow up. Then you look at this testimony from Sarah this week. I don't know if you heard it. She's, she's hilarious, but in between all the jokes she was making, listen to what she said. I've learned that God is intentional and I have to be intentional. Talk about growing up. Talk about coming of age. Talk about being, what is she, 19 years old? She'd be running around with all the rest of 19-year-olds. How many 19-year-olds do you know that are talking about, I'm halfway across the world. I've learned that God is intentional and I have to be intentional. I don't have any family here, so I am completely dependent upon God. That's a 19-year-old that's more mature than 40-year-olds. That was this week. Spoke with one of the men in the church this week. They got their giving receipt, got on the phone with me, repented to me. I said, you don't have to repent to me. That's between you and the Lord. They said, listen, I am, I am embarrassed with what I gave this year. Repented. And said, listen, I'm not embarrassed about the amount that I gave. I'm embarrassed about what that amount reflects, a lack of trust for God. That's called coming of age. That's called maturing. Another man this week called me and said, I'm battling with lust and I need help. I'll come early and meet you at the church so we can pray. 
And people want to play with God. And people want to play with church. I came here on Thursday, met an old friend here. We had outreach, so I met him before outreach. Um, And we sat down and we were just talking back and forth and I told him a story about something that recently happened in my life. And as soon as I was done, he stopped me and he said, listen, I can't believe that you would open up like that. I was like, what are you talking about? Like, you just told me like a lot of stuff. (laughs) He was like about, and it was about my pride and some things that I had been dealing with. and, And he was just so surprised that I would open up and tell him. So on my, on my drive home, I was just thinking about it and thinking about it, like, why did he respond that way? And I realized that on one side, he's not used to men being honest and being open, especially about their shortcomings. And on the other hand, I got really excited because it has become, to a certain degree, normal and natural for me. I understand that I'm a sinner saved by grace. I understand that I got issues and I got problems. It was really cool for me to be able to to have that moment with him and realize that that's a sign of maturity. It's a sign of maturity when you can be either going through something or just coming out of something and express that to other people like, yeah, man, I got issues, but God is good. When you're thinking more about growing than you are about hiding. See, God's not looking for perfection, but he's looking for men and women who are willing to grow up and be the church. He doesn't have time for people who want to fake church or play church or make the church all about them instead of about Christ. So when I see these things happening, I ask myself, well, what's the cost for the Jarrett's? What's the cost for our family? Is it too much that we have to pay? I got to be honest with you guys, not even close. (laughs) We're not even close. We haven't given too much. We haven't gone without enough. The sacrifices that we make, they don't even come close to what the goodness we get to see of God in our own lives and in the lives of others. It's a joke to think that we've given too much. The question of what's best for me begins to be replaced by the question of what's best for us. What's best for the body? As we mature, we realize that what's best for the body is also best for us. I'm not thinking about what's best for me. I'm thinking about what's best for us. And I'm not thinking about what's best for the us that's my blood family. I'm thinking about what's best for us that's the family covered by the blood. When I do and I make decisions based on what's best for the body, God has this way of doing things that are best for the Jarrett's. I want to give you a little bit more context for our theme scripture, right? Grow up, part of the body, part of, uh, uh, grow up into the head who is Christ, right? From verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 4, listen to what he's really talking about as we focus on growing up and maturing. Paul says, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says... When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. 
Now this, he ascended. What does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave himself, or excuse me, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, who is Christ. So when you look at those last couple of verses with the first few verses, you see the picture he's painted is not just you as an individual growing up and being a more mature Christian. He's saying you need to grow up and become a more mature part of the church. It's one body, one God, one spirit. Love each other. Have long suffering with each other. Jesus says, I gave my life for the whole body. Once you get past the idea that he gave his life for you, which is, that's like when your eyes are opened, right? Oh my God, he died for me. He'll take my sins upon him. I can have forgiveness. And then the next thought, some point thereafter should be, oh dang, he died for a whole bunch of other people. Should probably tell them. Or I should probably love them when they come into church. Or I should probably help them. I should probably make sure that they got food in the refrigerator, knowing that mine is overflowing. So you got to actually apply the word of God. Somebody say amen. amen. The scripture goes on. Speaking of Jesus, it says, Grow up in all things into him who is the head, which is Christ. Verse 16 says, From him, from whom the whole body is joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share. It causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him, and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Put off, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness, therefore putting away lying. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin, do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole still no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. When I read 
the Lord's description of the church and the body and how to behave with one another and how to uh, behave in the world and how to draw people unto him, I think, man, now is the time to be the church. There's going to come a day when we don't have to be angry and not sin because we won't be angry about anything. There's going to come a day where you don't have to forgive people because there won't be anything left to forgive. Now is the time to forgive. Now is the time to love. Now is the time to let people abuse you or use you and not have to get your way or be restored just to forgive them and let it go. Now is the time to pray. Now is the time to press in for the presence of God because there's going to come a day where you're just in his presence and you don't have to press in for it. Now is the time to give. There's going to come a time where there's no giving that needs to be made. Now's the time to study and to pray and to read and to ask questions and to be baptized. All that stuff like now is the time to be the church. But we ain't thinking about the church. We're thinking about ourselves. Now's the time. New life is the gift of God. But the church is God's gift for those who are living the new life. Let me say that again. God has this gift that he gives to anybody who wants it. It's a new life. Here, it's yours. You want salvation? You want to be born again? You want to have eternal life? Here it is. It's a gift. And then he says, now that you've gotten that gift, I have another gift for you. It's called the church. If you live in the church and you walk in the church and you care for the church, it'll be a blessing into your life and into the life of others. So this idea of the church, before I go on, I want to ask you guys, what is your picture of the church? And just think back to what you used to think about the church before you got saved. Remember what people out there think about the church, what I used to think about the church. All they want is your money. I can't believe you go there every day. You, you are so weak. You got to go listen to somebody tell you that you're special. <laughs> think about what people think the church is. And are you combating that by the way that you live and the way that you do church? Or are you reinforcing it? <laughs> So with this idea of the church in your mind, what I want to look at this morning is just two stories from the Old Testament. Two stories. Uh, one's of a man and the other of a woman. And I think in each of them, you'll see this focus shifting from individuals to the church. From an individual to the church. Coming of age. Being an adult. Growing and maturing. A man of God. A woman of God. And now the church of God. So this first story is, uh, is one of these man-to-man conversation type stories, first between a man and his earthly father, and then between that same child or that same man and his heavenly father. So it starts off in 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 1. It says, Now the days of David drew near that he should die. King, Ta- King David's about to die. And he charged Solomon, his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man. And keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, and his testimonies, as it's written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, that the Lord may fulfill his word which he spoke concerning me, saying, if your sons take heed to their way, to walk before me in truth with all their heart, And with all their soul, he said, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. 
So David's dying. And in his last words, he looks at his son Solomon. He says, listen, I'm going to tell you what it means to be a man. Make sure you hear me and make sure that you do it. What does he tell him it means to be a man? We talked about this a, a few weeks ago, right? Not what many of us heard it meant to be a man when we were young. He says, son, keep the charge of the Lord your God. Walk in his ways, keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, his testimonies as it is written. He says, son, all I need you to do is whatever God wants you to do. He wrote it down for you in the law of Moses, son, just read it and pray through it and do it. Imagine if we told our sons and we told our daughters that all that mattered is their love for God. I've been practicing it. I tell my kids at least weekly, I don't care what you do, son, as long as you love God. Keep God first. You can be whatever you want to be. You can go wherever you want to go. You can have whatever job. And I'm already trying to plant that seed. Son, don't just do something that makes a lot of money because you can make a lot of money and be miserable. Do whatever you want to do, but love God. If you don't love God, you can't live with us. They're still afraid of that right now, so it works. <laughs> but Solomon hears that from his father. His father's a king, and he tells him, just love God, keep his statutes. So that's the story between father and son. And after now David is dying, now that same son is talking to the father in heaven in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 5. It says, at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, ask, what shall I give you? Solomon said, you have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on his throne, as it is this day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David. But I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. Your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? The speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. Then God said to him, because you have asked this thing and have not asked for long life for yourself, nor asked riches for yourself, nor have have asked the life of your enemies, but you have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall anyone like you arise after you. And I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be anyone like you among the kings all your days. So if you walk in my ways, keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I'll lengthen your days. Then Solomon awoke, and indeed it had been a dream. And he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, offered up burnt offerings, offered peace offerings, and made a feast for all his servants." conversation with his earthly father and if you listen to when Solomon was talking to God about his dad David he said my dad did it right <laughs> he walked with you he honored you he loved you man I want my kids to be able to say that I don't know about the rest of you men I don't know about the rest of you women don't you want to don't you want your daughters and your sons to be able to look at you and say I just want to do it like my mom did it 
four things I want to, I want to point out that, that uh, Solomon said. Verse 7, he says, Now, O Lord my God, you've made your servant king instead of my father David, but I am a little child. Look at the humility. Look at the understanding that he ain't grown. Many of us spend most of our time fronting as if we are grown instead of just acknowledging that we're not so that we can grow up. Solomon's rich. He's wise. He's the king. His daddy was the king. But he comes before God and he says, listen, I'm a child. Help me grow up. Help me grow up, God. Help me grow up. He says to him, your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people too numerous to be numbered or counted. So here's the picture that we got to see this morning. Solomon is concerned with the church. He's concerned with the children of Israel. That's the church at the time. That's the people of God. And think about where his focus is. My dad was the king. I'm now the king. What do I need? How can God help me? What can he do? But instead of that, he says, I'm, I'm in the middle of your church. How many of you, be honest, you heard the testimony of one of the women in this church. She wrote in, I'm not sure how everybody else sees my attendance, but their attendance, attendance is important to me. I look forward to coming and seeing everybody. That's a new believer who's saying how important the body is, which sounds a whole lot more like Solomon who says to God, I'm in the middle of your people and I'm aware of it and how important they are. How many of us have been believers for a while and we're not thinking about being in the middle of a bunch of believers because we're closer to the center of things. So when he has this chance to ask God for what he wants, how many of us have been asking God to bless the body more than we've been asking God to bless us. Mary told me this week as we were praying because our, our friend Diadem is sick and um, unconscious now for several days. She was praying and she was like, Lord, I want to pray like this all the time, not just when it's tragedy, not just when there's like this, this serious need. I just want to be praying for people like this all the time with this kind of passion, with this kind of intensity. Verse 9, Solomon says, Give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil. He's not praying for himself. He's not praying for what's best for the Solomon family. <laughs> God, show me how to care for your people. Show me how to know what's right and what's wrong. Show me how to know good versus evil. Show me how to help people make good decisions. Help me be a good leader that everybody would be blessed. Show me how to understand that if I give one of my $10, I may go without some things, but some other people may have something that they otherwise wouldn't have had. Amen. It drives me crazy, which is why I never look at the giving until I have to sign your guys' giving receipts, but I'm, I'm, sometimes I'm just shocked. How can we be so faithless? How can we not understand that we're not giving? We're giving to God. We're not giving to a church. We're not giving to people. We're giving to God. And people need what we're giving. Amen. God's kingdom needs to be pushed forward. Yes. Amen. The last time we did it for Sarah, many of us pledged $10 a month just so she could eat at Nando's or whatever she said it was. <laughs> so, so Sarah gave me the paper, and it showed that I was one of the families that, that gave that committed 
to $10 a month for the next eight months, which is $80. And since we did that, I hadn't given any of it, right, a couple of weeks ago. So Sarah gave it to me, and I looked at it, and I was like, dang. So when I got paid this week, I gave my tithe, and I gave that $80. Because when I see her face, which was cool, because I did that, I think, on Thursday I got paid, and then she sent this to me Friday or Saturday, early Saturday. I was like, man, I'm part of that. I'm part of that Nando's that she gets to go and eat. <laughs> and I care. Honestly, right now, you know where we ate last night? Taco Bell, bean and cheese burritos. Not because we're broke, but because we're vegan. <laughs> but the point was, I got no problem eating bean and cheese burritos knowing that I'm helping a young woman do things for God that she never would have been able to do if I wasn't invested into the kingdom. See, but that's what happens, and I'm not the only one, please believe me, and it ain't just this church. There's churches all over the world doing amazing things. Yes, amen. Spend a little bit less time on Facebook and Netflix, and just look, what are Christians doing in the world? You'll see some amazing things that you could be a part of. Solomon says, show me how to discern. That's what he's saying. I want to help your, your, your church, your people. Then this, this last thing in verse 11, God says to him, because you have asked this thing and have not asked long life for yourself, nor have you asked riches for yourself, does you ask the life of your enemies, but you ask for yourself understanding to discern justice. God says, look, I was going to give you anything you wanted. And instead of focusing on yourself, you put me in the center. And then instead of putting yourself right next to me, holding hands with your arm around me, you put the church between me and you. And you start thinking about the body and all the children. Because you act like that, you know who else acts like that? He says, my son. My son don't think about himself. He thinks about everybody. He says, because you act like that, watch what I'm going to do for you. Verse 13, God says to Solomon, I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be anyone like you among the kings all your days. So if you walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. He says, because you didn't ask for it and you were more focused on other people, I'm going to give you all the stuff that you didn't ask for, but I know you want it because everybody wants it. Who doesn't want a blessed life? Who doesn't want a family? Who doesn't want to be able to have their needs met? But he says, if you're willing to, to forego all that for my people and for my church, I'm going to hook you up anyway. People are constantly commending me, and, and sometimes it gets frustrating because they say, oh, you do so much, and you sacrifice so much, and you're always here at the church, and you give, and you go, and you this and that, and you've got to be so tired. I'm going to be honest with you guys this morning. I know that anything can change at any moment. Read the story of Job. He had it all. Family, faith, resources, and it all changed. So I understand that that, that is a reality for, for being in this world and living this life. But I have more than I could ever, ever have imagined when I gave my life to the Lord. When I got saved, I was literally an alcoholic and a drug addict. I had dropped out of, out of college. I had alienated every friend that I had. I was almost checked into a mental hospital because I was paranoid. Literally, the same week of giving my life to the Lord, living at home with my mom, 
because I had dropped out and didn't have a job and all kinds of stuff like that. Right? So I had nothing, absolutely nothing when I gave my life to the Lord. And I remember when I got saved, I, it, when I read through scriptures, I feel like Solomon. Because all I could think was, man, uh, people got to hear about this Jesus. I don't care what happens from this day forward. As long as we can be a part of somebody else getting saved, that's all that matters. I really don't care anything beyond that. I really remember feeling that way. And people looked at me like I was crazy because I was kind of going crazy at the same time. And now I look up and we really don't want for anything. You know when Christmas rolls around and people are like, don't get me anything, I don't need anything. We really don't need anything. We don't need anything. Every need has been met. He's gone above and beyond anything we could have ever asked for. My challenge to everybody here is come of age when it comes to the church and give yourself to the church. Give yourself to people and see what God might do. I didn't talk to Gary about what he was going to share, but what did he say when he was up here earlier? Something about God is telling us, I just, just want to have a relationship with you. I'll give you an opportunity to try something and see what I might do. That's the testimony of my whole life since coming to the Lord. John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. What do you have that you're not willing to give up that somebody could get saved? What do you have that you're not willing to give up that some marriage could actually stay together? What do you have that you're not willing to give up that some kid might be able to say, my daddy stuck around? What do you have that's worth more than that? Let's get on to the second story so I can let you guys go home this morning. You are the church, though. I'm just telling you who we are and who we're called to be. So you got Solomon and King David. Now, now on to one of her stories. I'm pretty sure that the men haven't read, and sadly, some of you women probably have never read this story. Forgive me if you had, but these women are awesome. Back in the day, God's people were led by prophets. They were led by priests. Um, they were ultimately a theocracy, which means a... a uh, a country or a group of people led by God. We are a democracy, right? We elect officials, and then through the democratic method, we are governed. A theocracy says God says this, and that's how we live, right? So they would have these judges amongst all the people that would help lead them back to God every time they'd screw up. God would establish a judge. He'd tell them, this is what you should be doing, and then they'd, they'd come back and try to follow the Lord. Later on, they'd begin to ask for kings like other nations, uh, but before that happened, they had a judge, and one of them was a woman, and her name was Deborah, and she was awesome. She led well. I'm going to read a, just a little bit about her. From Judges chapter 4, verse 1, it says, When Ehud was dead, the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who dwelt in Harashoth, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, for Jabin had 900 chariots of iron, and for 20 years he harshly oppressed the children of Israel. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at the time. 
And she would sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the mountains of Ephraim. And the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. Then she sent and called for Barak, the son of Abinoam, in Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord God of Israel commanded, Go and deploy troops at Mount Tabor, take with you 10,000 men of the sons of Naphtali and of the sons of Zebulun, and against you I will deploy Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his multitude at the river Kishon, and I will deliver him into your hand. And Barak said to her, If you will go with me, then I'll go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. Stop there for a second. You have this woman of God. She's the judge. She's the leader. And she is empowering the men of God to go fight and to go war for the kingdom, for the people, for the church. She's challenging him to obey the word of God and to go and fight and to go and battle. And what does he say? If you'll go with me. How many men have only gone to church because some woman told us we needed to go? Don't front. That's why I came to church. Amen. I see one hand. Me and you, brother. But women, we've talked about this before. Don't be afraid to go with the men. Don't be afraid to lead the men until they're ready to take their position and be led by God. What a powerful thing it is that God uses Deborah to position God's army to actually fight and eventually have some victory. So you've got this woman, Deborah. She's leading. Goes on from verse 9. After he tells her, go with me, please. I'm afraid, babe. Verse 9, so she said, I'll go with you. Nevertheless, there will be no glory for you in the journey you are taking, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. Barak called Zebulun and Naphtali. He went up with 10,000 men under his command. Deborah went up with him. Now Haber the Kenite of the children of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, they had separated himself from the Kenites, pitched his tent near the terebinth tree, which is beside Kadesh. They reported to Sisera that Barak the son of Abinoam had gone up to Mount Tabor. So Sisera gathered together all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the people who were with him from uh, Hurasheth to the river Kishon. Then Deborah said to Barak, Up! For this is the day in which the Lord has delivered Sisera into your hand. Has not the Lord gone out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. The Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army with the edge of the sword from Barak. Sisera alighted from his chariot and fled away on foot. But Barak pursued the chariots and the army as far as Harasheth. And all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. However, Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the house of Heber. So stop there. There's a battle. They're going to fight. They've been oppressed for 20 years. God uses a woman named Deborah, tells him, it's got to go. Let's go fight. He says, come with me. They go down together, right? This man is, is sleeping, and Deborah says, get up. Now's the time. Now's the time to fight. Miss Peaches says, Pastor Vaughn, come to prayer. Now's the time to go. Now's the time to fight. I want to stay home. But a woman <laughs> says it's time to pray. So they get there. 
And God does exactly what he said he was going to do. He gives this victory. They're fighting. It says that they killed everybody except for the leader, Sisera. I don't know if you guys are paying attention, but he jumps off of his chariot and he starts running by foot. And he comes to another woman named Jael. Say her story. All these her stories are hidden within the other his stories. Listen to what happens. I don't know if you guys are ready for her story. This woman, J.L., be careful. Verse 18, Sisera runs and he meets this woman named J.L. J.L. went out to meet Sisera and said to him, turn aside, my Lord. Turn aside to me and don't fear. When he had turned aside with her into the tent, she covered him with a blanket. Then he said to her, please give me a little water to drink, for I'm thirsty. So she opened a jug of milk. He wasn't vegan. (laughs) So she opened a jug of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. And he said to her, stand at the door of the tent, and if any man comes and inquires of you and says, is there any man here, you shall say no. Then Jael, Haber's wife, took a tent peg. And she took a hammer in her hand, and she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple. And it went down into the ground, for he was fast asleep and weary, so he died. And then as Barak pursued Sisera, Jael came out to him to meet him and said to him, Come, I'll show you the man whom you seek. And when he went into her tent, there lay Sisera dead with the peg in his temple, So on that day, God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, in the presence of the children of Israel. And the hand of the children of Israel grew stronger and stronger against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they had destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. Listen to these two women. I see some of the women talking in here. Don't try to act like JL. (laughs) These two women, one is is encouraging the church, the army, the men of God to go out and be men of God. The other one, who you would think is unsuspecting, she's sitting at home. She's literally in between the the good and the bad, the, the light and the darkness, right? It says that this whole family had moved to a place that was supposed to be like a safe zone. And then here comes the army of the enemy, the leader of the army of the enemy. And who slays them? It's not Solomon. It's not David. It's not Jonathan. Just some woman with a her story. But what she did as her part of the body, right? He wants water. She gives him milk so his tummy's full. She makes him comfortable, puts a blanket on him. And as soon as he falls asleep, she kills him. Drives a stake and she doesn't just barely hit it. It says that she hit it and went all the way through to the ground. This woman is crazy. But here's the point. Here's the point that I want you to be able to see, hopefully. These two women are not concerned with themselves or their own safety. They're concerned with the church. They're concerned with the people of God. She could have let him sleep there, not said anything, and let him go on about his business, and her and her family would have been fine. But that's not what's best for the church. That's not what's best for the children of God. Same thing with Deborah. She knew she was hearing from God. She could have told him, just go. No, I'm not going to go with you. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. You go. But she says, no, I'll go with the people. I'll go with the men. I'll lead and put my faith into action to inspire the people of God. 
Listen to the victory song that Deborah sings. Then we're going to close. Next chapter, verse 5 of Judges. Then Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, sang on that day, saying, When leaders lead in Israel and when the people willingly offer themselves, bless the Lord. Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes. I, even I, will sing to the Lord. I'll sing praise to the Lord God of Israel. Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the field of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens poured. The clouds also poured water. The mountains gushed before the Lord. This Sinai before the Lord God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were deserted and the travelers walked along the byways. Village life ceased. It ceased in Israel until I, Deborah, arose, arose a mother in Israel. They chose new gods. Then there was war in the gates. Not a shield or spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. My heart is with the rulers of Israel who offered themselves willingly with the people. Bless the Lord. This song that she sings with Barak, who was leading this army and fighting twice in verse 2 and in verse 9, it says, when leaders lead, when people willingly offer themselves. What it really means to be part of the church is to willingly offer yourself for others. Deborah was focused on leading with other people in mind, fighting with the people who were fighting to give their lives. Nobody wants to be sent out into a battle while you're sitting back comfortably. I hate that. As a pastor, I always say that. We want to fight with you guys. We want to wrestle with you. You might get tired of getting calls from us, text messages from us. What's going on? Where are you? Let's meet. Let's pray. You're going to make it. But to me, that's a whole lot better than you preach on Sunday. Man, I hope you guys are all right. I'm going to go back to my life. Deborah says, I'm going to go and I'm going to fight. JL says, I got a, I got a stake in the house and a hammer. And I'm going to use it. <laughs> Man, what do you got? Amen. What can you give? Amen. Who can you fight with? Who can call you? That's the church. Men and women, men like Solomon, who care more about the rest of the body than they do about themselves. Women like Deborah and JL, who care more about the body and are willing to fight for it. There's a lot of different ways to fight. But we can't do it if we won't let the church come between us and God. Why don't we stand? Worship team, would you come? Last thing I'm going to read to you guys as we pray today and release you. <clears throat> Coming of age as the church is what God says about uh, this body that you're a part of. When I'm done reading, I'm going to ask, like I often do, if there's anybody here who wants to become a part of that body, or if you're here and you want to become a better part of the body, if maybe on your way to church you were thinking to yourself, man, I wonder who needs me today. I wonder who I hug, and it's just going to strengthen them and encourage them this week. I wonder who might give a testimony for the first time and just be encouraged. <clears throat> Our worship team, you know, I think back to when I got saved. Like, what were the songs that really changed my life when I got saved? I wonder, as worshipers, do we consider the people we're leading into worship? Or is it just, this is my favorite song or the one that I like to sing? Like, man, I want to be the church. I want to be God's church. 
I want to be like Christ who is not concerned with himself. He lays down his life for his friends. We can do both. You can work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And you can encourage the body of believers. Believe me, you can do both. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 says, As the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are just one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether we were Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we've all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact the body is not one member but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body, and the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And on our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes for just a moment. Scripture says that you are the body. You are a part. You are a valuable part. Without you, the body suffers. Without you walking in your calling and in your gifting, the body suffers. If you're looking to other parts of the body and saying, I'd rather be that or they'll take care of it, I'll just focus on myself, you're missing it. It's one body and we need every part. God did not send anybody into this church to be a bystander or to be a witness. He sent you to be a part of the body, to care for the body. Your health makes the rest of the body healthy. If you're sick, you make the rest of the body sick. If you suffer, we suffer with you. If you rejoice, we rejoice with you. We are connected. It's one body. It's the body of Christ. He is the head. He is the heart. It's his blood that flows through you. You matter. How you live matters. How you think matters. How you give matters. How you love matters. How you pray matters. If you're here and you've never become part of the body, you've never said, Lord, graft me in. I want to be part of your body. I want your blood to flow through my veins. I want to be forgiven. We heard a, a, a young lady get up here and say, this is the black heart that's being purified by the blue flames, burning hot, purging away the sin. 
and creating in me a clean heart. That's a member of the body telling you what it takes to become a member of the body. Jesus says he'll do all the work. He'll create in you a clean heart. All you have to do is ask for it. If you're here and you've never done that, you know you have an old heart within you. You may have said you did it before. You may have wanted to do it before, but you know it didn't happen. Maybe today will be your day that you really surrender and say, Lord, create in me a clean heart. Before we do anything else, if that's you, would you just raise your hand? Not say, but you want to be? Oh, I see you, sis. Thank you, Lord. Anybody else this morning? Today's your day. We thank you for this one here. Thank you, Jesus. Anybody else? We'll make sure that we get you a Bible. We'll make sure that we pray with you before you leave today, young lady. So grateful, so thankful for you. I'm so glad that you've been added to the body. Our body is now bigger. Our body is now stronger. We now have a peace that we didn't have before. You are special. You are unique. You are created in the image of God. You are now a daughter of God. We just pray for you to come of age, for you to grow, get the word into you like spiritual milk. And then we're going to watch you. You're going to crawl. And then before you know it, you're going to be walking. An important part of the body. Oh, you're valuable. Thank you, Jesus, for her salvation. Thank you, Lord, for her willingness this morning. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. For the rest of us who are here, if you want to be a better part of the body, <laughs> you're already saved. You already know God. You've been working on your own salvation. You've been wrestling with what it means to be saved and how to really serve God and all those kind of things. But maybe this morning you would say, a little bit too much focus has been on you and not enough on the body of Christ. If I can pray for you this morning, I'm going to ask you, if that's you, if you would come to the altar, what we're going to say is, Lord, if you want to put your church and your whole body between me and you, I'm open to that. Lord, if you want to say, I need to lay down my life like you laid down yours for the body, I'm open to that this morning. I'm open to you showing me the whole body. I'm open to you connecting me to other people that when they say my attendance is important to them, that I can actually feel that and I can sense it. When my going without some of the things that I desire, when you can use that to bring more into your kingdom and to see lost souls be found, I'm open to that. If that's you, would you come? If you're here this morning and maybe you hadn't thought about it, but you're willing to say, I'm willing to sacrifice. I'm willing to go without. I'm willing to lose some things, Lord, that others would gain you. If that's you, would you come? Be a better part of the body. Be a better part of the church. Understand what he called you for. Solomon wasn't seeking after the riches and seeking after the blessings. He was seeking after discernment on how to know good and evil and how to love the body and care for the body. And God said, because of that, I'll give you all that other stuff. If that's you, shift your focus this morning. Focus on God. Focus on his body. Focus on what he's trying to accomplish. This morning in this very place, somebody said, I want Jesus. I want to be saved. Everybody who's walked through this church and invested into this place has a part in that. It's stored up for you as riches in heaven. When you get to heaven, 
The Lord knows this young lady by name. When you get there, he's going to say, you were there. You were a part of that. You were a healthy part of the body. You invested so that those doors were open and my word could come forth. And it brought her out of death and into life, out of darkness and into life. Thank you for considering the body. Thank you for considering the body. Jesus, Jesus. Lord, I thank you for those who are here, Lord. Every part that they are, Lord God, you know what part they are. You know what you've given them, what you've gifted them, Lord God. Remind them how important they are, how valuable they are, Lord God. That you chose them, you handpicked them. They are not insignificant. They are valuable. Let them just do their part to edify the body. What they do this week, Lord, it might not sound as significant as slaying the leader of the enemy's army, Lord God. It might sound like just a phone call or a text message or a time of prayer, but it's just as significant and can be just as impactful if they just do their part. Be part of the body, Lord. We thank you for them. Have your way. Minister to your sons. Minister to your daughters, Lord. We love you. We thank you. We worship you, God. If you're here, you can stay and pray. The rest of you, if you want to pray, you can. If not, you can be released. We're just going to worship. We're just going to pray. Have your way, Lord. Oh, you know us, Lord. You chose us, God. love you to visit our church at 451 West Lambert Road, Suite 204 in the city of Brea. Our service times are Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.thewaybrea.com or you can download our church app by visiting your app store and searching The Way Brea. Be blessed.